HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by The Great Grow Along. Sign up at greatgrowalong.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're sipping on stories about how access, legislation, and circumstance affect what we drink. I think now it's really changing that there's a growing excitement about drinks that are zero-proof and alcoholic. So it just felt like kind of a very good timing. This plant's been around for millions of years, and uh, I just think that it's so special, so uniquely uh, American and pre-American, that it just should have a very prominent place in our society, you know, for a lot of different reasons. It is helpful to be able to sell one drink. It would be more helpful to be able to sell two or three at a time. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for this hour of Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Cafaro. On today's show, we are celebrating the maple harvest. In early March, communities across the Midwest come together to share the natural bounty of the maple syrup harvest. Driving tours and festivals connect curious consumers with maple makers who open their sugar houses for all who want to visit. We are taking our own virtual maple tour, making stops at Butternut Maple Farms in Ohio, Maplewood Farms in Indiana. And our first stop is in Michigan, where Art Curry welcomes us to Curry Maple Farms. Art, thanks so much for joining the program today. We appreciate you taking the time. All right. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad to do it and always happy to promote Uh, maple syrup. That's right. We are always uh, excited as well to tell um, the Midwestern story to the rest of the country. And you're from Michigan. um, And not a lot of folks uh, outside of the immediate uh, Midwestern area know that Michigan is a is a maple syrup producer. So um, since you are are there in Michigan, uh, tell us how important um, that state is uh, to uh, maple producing uh, in general. Well, Michigan is the seventh largest producing state in the uh, United States. We actually have more maple trees in Michigan than any other state, but we don't produce as much syrup because Mm. there aren't uh, that many producers. In the state of Vermont, uh, they are the leader. Uh, It is a 
family tradition or a local tradition for people to make syrup, and that has never grabbed hold uh, in the state of Michigan. Why do you think that is? Why hasn't it caught on in Michigan as much? I'm not really quite sure. Uh, Smaller farms in the east that needed maple syrup as part of their family farm's income, uh, partly. But here, almost every homesteaded farm did at some point make a little bit of maple syrup. So Mm -hmm. why it did not continue on into a commercial setup, I really don't know. I think maybe there are other jobs available and people didn't have to do this or it's easier to make money in other farming occupations or in other labor occupations. Well, we see that we see that a lot, actually, for family farms that, you know, people do step away from it because, you know, generation after generation, they're looking for for new uh, economic opportunities off the farm. Um, I'd be curious to know if maybe there might be a move back um, into things like maple syrup um, in, in Michigan, simply because what we're seeing, I think, you know, across the country uh, during this pandemic has been sort of a move out of the cities, you know, more into, you know, um, where, where possible into the, into the country, into suburbs, and a lot of people out of necessity totally, you know, sort of changing trajectory. So be interested to, to see what happens in a few years and to see whether or not things might might turn around in, in Michigan when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, we men- I just mentioned, um, you know, family, family farms, and it's my understanding that maple making is in your blood. Um, so uh, I'm curious about your family history in maple production. Uh, walk us through it. Okay. Well, I grew up on a dairy farm in southeast Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, my family had been farming that land for a hundred years, mm. and thus uh, my great grand great great grandfather was actually uh, had come just after homesteading was going on in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Many of the home homesteaders and the pioneers used maple syrup as their sugar source mm-hmm. for their subsistence lifestyle early on. Uh, as they were developing their farms. Now, later on, then maple syrup became a cash crop. Thus, it's the first crop of the year, the first crop of spring, and it supplemented farm income. Mm. So the people that advanced or moved on from using it just as a sugar source for their own families then developed this into a small business and helped uh, their farm. My uh, grandfather, uh, I'm sorry, my great grandfather made syrup uh, during World War One through the Depression, and then again in World War Two as sugar was rationed uh, mm. during the wars and of limited availability because of income uh, during the Depression. So it continued to be a family source of sugar uh, for uh, the the Curry family in uh, Southeast Michigan. Now, uh, after that, then uh, it was pretty much used as a supplement to farm income uh, it, for my grandfather and my father as they made syrup. Now, Jan and I, we made syrup in our uh, little town of Fowlerville uh, as a hobby, as many people do Right. And as many more people are starting to do, as you mentioned, uh, during COVID and uh, the pandemic here. Uh, 
the people that are supplying uh, equipment and supplies to the industry are so busy within their warehouses and stores setting people up with a 20 to 30 tap operation they can't hardly service their wow. regular customers because so many people are coming in to set up a small operation which i think is great uh it has been a tremendous undercurrent of the industry we call these people the hobbyists right uh, they are they are all included and welcomed to come to our association meetings of the Michigan Maple Syrup Association. And at these meetings, we always have a beginner's course. And there are always 10 to 15 new members or new people coming to learn more. So very available to anyone with maple trees in their yard in our little town of Fowlerville. We had 20 taps in our yard, and then we tapped another 25 taps on three different neighbors and made anywhere from 8 to 10 gallons a year to keep the tradition going as our operation commercially had been uh, stopped uh, because of uh, oh, different, different reasons in our family. But then Jan and I started it back up again uh, in 2006. Okay, so you guys have been at it uh, for a little while now, um, and and making that you know your your focus. Now, I, as we're talking, it just occurred to me, um, you know, you talked about how the association is very supportive for anybody that wants to you know get into this, who's new and who has maple trees that that can be tapped. But uh, say you're a layperson, and and you know, even if you have some acreage, you might not necessarily be familiar with you know being able to tell. The difference between the different trees and maybe what trees might actually be maple, you know, maple producing. How would one go about trying to figure that out to even know whether or not they have a viable source of maple on their property? Well, maple producers are very friendly people in general. And the, I agree the with best, that. <laughs> the best way to learn is to find another producer. And that person probably will come to your farm and help you identify trees and uh, go there. Or um, if you wanted to go volunteer at a, and help somebody gather sap in the neighborhood, it wouldn't take long before you can recognize the difference between a, a maple tree and an ash tree. Um, actually, the uh, it's gotten a lot easier because there's no ash trees left. They're all dead. And those were the most common mistakes made of mm -hmm. um, mixing those up. So now that we're left with oaks and maples, and cherries, and beech, it's not too hard to identify the maples anymore. Um, good to know. I, I now want to kind of put myself through through my own test, uh, you know, being here in Ohio and, and being, you know, pretty much in, in maple producing country uh, here in my little corner of northeastern Ohio. Um, you know, it sounds very similar to where you are in Michigan. Um, you know, and what I've learned from uh, talking to other maple producers around me um, is that, you know, it's not just, you know, putting a tap in a tree anymore. Um, you know, it's it's a much larger, more um, mechanized, um, more te technologically advanced process than that now. Um, so if we were to come visit your farm, um, what would we see as far as, you know, take us literally from tree to table for the maple? Well, you have to have two things uh, to make maple syrup. One, you have to have maple trees and two, you have to have some way to boil it down. So we start in our 
farm, a 320-acre farm, our farthest tap is one mile from our sugar house. Wow. So from there, we have a, a spile that goes into the tree. We drill a 5 sixteenths inch hole into the tree sometime around the 1st of March as winter turns into spring. And then once the days warm up, the sap starts to flow, and that's warming up to 34 degrees, and we'll get a little bit of flow. That sap enters into a tubing system, which flows down a 5 sixteenths inch maple tube line and eventually connects into a three-quarter inch plastic line to an inch and a half line. Then goes uh, to, we have two pump houses on the farm, and from there the sap is pushed underground. Uh, one pump house pushes uh, three-quarters of a mile, and the other one pushes three-eighths of a mile, all the way up to the farmstead to where our sugar house or sap house is located. So once the sap gets there, uh, it comes into the tanks at around 2% sugar. It is clear. You can't tell the difference between sap and water when you look at it. Wow. You can taste You can taste a very little bit of sugar in the sap. And then the goal of the sugar house is to boil away about 95% of the water until we have a concentration of 67% sugar in the syrup. And so this makes a thick li liquid that's mostly sugar and a little bit of water left, and that is maple syrup. Wow, that's that's uh, that's incredible. I mean, you know, not a lot of people know what it takes um, to go through that process. And and again, as we're sitting here talking, um, made me think of another kind of question because not everyone um, has access to um, local maple syrup or or you know maybe pure maple syrup. You'll see them sometimes in, in the grocery store and the big box stores on the on the on the shelves. But you know a lot of people um, you know just reach for that sort of commercial um, you know, product. They you know the log cabin, the Mrs. Butterworths. I'm not trying to you know name names or put anybody down, but. Um, you know, what would be the difference between some someone who, you know, makes maple syrup on their farm and you would come and, and get that pure maple syrup versus whatever kind of large volume commercial syrup that you get, you know, in the grocery store with the, some of these bigger brand names? Okay, well, let's differentiate our sweeteners that we use in the uh, in America or here in the U.S. And there really are about uh, five and we have white sugar, brown sugar, corn syrup, and then we have the two natural sweeteners, which are honey and maple syrup. Mm -hmm. uh, they all uh, contain sucrose, but maple syrup contains uh, many more uh, minerals than do the refined sugars. So we, we claim that uh, not only are you getting a sweet product that you can use as your sweetener, but it does have... A, um, a manganese, manganese and riboflavin and zinc uh, over and above uh, the refined sugars. Now, as far as buying a commercially made maple syrup from the bottlers, if, and usually those products to the novice, you probably wouldn't uh, be able to tell much different be between my syrup and those coming out of the bottlers, because 
what what that syrup has come from are smaller farms and then collected at one source and put together mm. and re-bottled. Not reprocessed, just rebottled. So the only other uh, thing that would help the consumer is if you go to a farm, you know the source, you know where it's come from, you know their process, and you can identify it uh, through a family that's probably making it if you buy it from mm-hmm. a farmer's market or uh, in a local grocery store that might be selling a local product. Right. Um, very insightful because, you know, you just don't know sometimes what you're getting when you're getting, you know, a, a larger commercial product. And as you said, you know, when you get something that's from the source, you know exactly where it comes from. Um, and uh, I am, uh, you know, wondering, particularly since I'm from the neighboring Ohio, um, what, if anything, makes Michigan's syrup distinct. I've had this conversation with folks in Ohio and we'll hear from them a little bit later in the program. But I, you know, from, from your perspective, um, what makes Michigan syrup special and, and, and what kind of contributing factors make Michigan syrup, um, you know, have its own mark? Well, uh, I would like to tell you that our terroir or our soil types and our ability to grow the hard maples is uh, better than anyone else's. But you have a lot of argument between the <laughs> Vermonters and the Ohio's and the Ontario people and the Quebec people as to whose is better. It's like um, uh, your car, you know, whether you're a Ford person or a Chevy, as to where, uh, you know, the brand or the local identity of the syrup. Truthfully, it's the maple tree uh, the genus is pretty much the same throughout the maple regions of the northeast part of our uh, continent here. Uh, definitely the soil type or the terroir can flavor the syrup just a little bit better. We have one, two or three producers in the Ludington area of our state that win the maple contest way more than anybody else. And of course, we're all friends, and uh, they will tell us that they're better maple makers, and we tell them that, no, your soil type is perfect to the flavor that the judges are expecting. So, mm-hmm. uh, I can't it really, no, what, it what, really is you know, what, what very do you, similar. What would you say, though? State. What would you say though? Because I know that you have uh, you have some award winning syrup as well, and I didn't mean to cut you off. But um, you know, since you have won a few times, I, I know that uh, from from us chatting before. But what what would judges be expecting the syrup to taste like? I mean, what what would you describe, at least in your experience? Um, you know, what what type of flavor profile judges are expecting from an award winning syrup? Yes. They want to uh, taste the flavor that they're judging. There are four grades of maple, and uh, they are um, golden delicate, amber rich, dark robust, and very dark, very strong. When we have won contests, we have won it with our dark robust. So the judges, they taste syrup in that contest at the Michigan Maple Syrup Association uh, annual meeting. They are expecting a stronger flavored, heavier tasting syrup, but still an adequate maple flavor to it. And it uh, 
it's very subjective to the taste buds of the judge on that day. But the other things that we have to think about are it has to be of the perfect density and of the perfect clarity right. to, even get, to even get into the tasting round. So we are very cautious about the syrup that we put into bottles that it meets the flavor and the grade, the grade is color and density, before it is passed on to the consumer. Mm -hmm. uh, the majority of, of maple makers are very conscious that what they're selling to the consuming public meets the quality and color and grade that the consumer is expecting. Does that does that answer your question? It, it absolutely answers my question. Um, and but I do have to also ask, which one is your favorite? Well, you know, no. out of those out of those four uh, grades, I mean, which which one do you prefer? I am a golden delicate. I want the first the first run. Uh, very aromatic maple flavor, very light maple flavor, and I'm a golden delicate fan. The general consuming public thinks that that is not syrup. It's just too light. And um, it they want to see a darker, robust, somewhere between amber rich and dark robust um, is what the general populace uh, would expect. I'm never going to eat syrup again now that I get the, to see behind the curtain um, or <laughs> listen behind the curtain about all these different grades and, and all everything that goes into uh, this process. Now, we are all about promoting, uh, you know, the, the different local um, industries across uh, the Midwestern region. And, you know, the first two weeks of March are usually that big maple uh, season. Um, and many communities have um, different you know, tourist attractions and, and festivals and availabilities um, to um, bring the people to the maple, uh, tell the story, educate the public. Um, and even if, if you don't uh, participate in as a farm, does Michigan do something like this? And maybe you can, you can tell, uh, tell us about how um, Michigan celebrates the, the maple harvest. Yes, uh, Michigan has two major maple festivals, one is in um, Shepherd and the other is in Vermontville. And they are, you know, the boy, the Shepherd Festival is big parade and the whole bit and crowning of a maple queen. And then they try to do it right at the end of the season uh, and then sell their product. Vermontville does the same and has a very nice festival. But we also have uh, on Michigan Maple Weekend, and it varies in the state as the season progresses north, uh, usually the third weekend. Uh, in the southern, fourth weekend in the middle, and then first weekend in April in the Upper Peninsula. And many farms do uh, go and advertise and join in the Maple Weekend where they uh, have their places all set up to accept the public to come and view. Many other smaller farms, when the steam is up, uh, visitors are accepted. And I would recommend to anyone if they see steam coming out of a sap house, drive in, walk in or knock on the door, and you'll probably get a great tour. 
Well, you've convinced me, that's for sure, Art. And uh, next time I'm, I'm coming through Michigan, I'm going to knock on your door. And I know our listeners are going to be looking looking for that as well. So remember, I guess what we will now know if you see if you see the steam, see the smoke, we're going to knock on the door and 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 get that tour. So Art Curry, thanks so much for giving us some insight on maple making and maple syrup from Michigan. This episode is brought to you by The Great Grow Along, a three-day hosted virtual garden festival connecting you with the influencers, tastemakers, and cutting-edge content of today's gardening world. The Great Grow Along will feature 40-plus sessions on topics ranging from houseplants to DIY landscaping. New plant parents and first-time gardeners will gain practical advice and creative inspiration from celebrated garden experts and industry leaders. Costing $29.95, tickets allow attendees to mix and match a wide range of sessions or choose to follow one of the conference's six tracks, which include edible gardening, urban gardening, pollinators and plants, DIY landscaping, houseplants, and dig deeper. The Great Grow Along will take place March 19th through 21st, 2021. Sign up at greatgrowalong.com. Welcome back to Eat Your Heartland Out. We now head to my home state of Ohio to chat with Pierre Delafranconi, owner of Butternut Maple Farm. Pierre, thanks so much for uh, joining us on Eat Your Heartland Out. We appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> well, you know, I am an Ohio native, as as are you, and, and I'm not very far from, from where you're located um, and I have grown up around the fact that Northeast Ohio, particularly Geauga County, is a major maple producer. It's a big part of, you know, our, our culture and our agricultural culture as well. Um, so since this is, you know, your line of work and not mine, I just eat the maple. I don't make the maple. Uh, tell, tell us about, um, you know, maple in Ohio. Um, and, and its importance to uh, the overall um, agricultural economy? Well, there's approximately 900 producers in the state of Ohio, and we produce about 100,000 gallons a year. And um, that pretty much equates to about $5 million a year into the Ohio economy. Pretty significant. And, um, you know, most of us can get, uh, you know, Ohio, pure Ohio maple syrup at the, at the big box grocery stores. Um, but, you know, Geauga County in particular, and again, in Northeast Ohio, there's a big push for, um, you know, not only producing local, but, but buying local. Um, and, you know, you are a, a local, at least to me, local maker. What exactly, you know, what kind of maple do you produce? How much do you produce? And um, what are things looking like this season for you? Well, so far this season itself has actually started slower than the last few. We're actually kind of like in an original season tap on President's Day, whereas in the last five years up till now, we've been tapping in January first through the seventh. So the season's changed a little this year, but we should be going by the end of the week. And um, we make um, maple syrup. We sell it in 
gallon jugs and quarts and glass. We also make maple candy, uh, maple cotton candy, maple cream. So we make a, a fairly good variety of products. Yeah, a lot of folks don't don't think about, you know, anything past the maple syrup that may go on, you know, your your pancakes or, you know, your waffles or that sort of thing. Um, and and so many folks do make things like maple uh, maple candy, for example. You think any thoughts about maple ice cream? I had maple ice cream up in Quebec and, um, you know, I'd like you to make maple ice cream because I'm close to you and I can drive and get it. It's closer <laughs> than Quebec. Actually, yeah, I just purchased a ice cream machine to experiment with that. So that's pretty funny you asked that. <laughs> and we also do make maple sugar, so it should help with that. Do you sell maple sugar to the public or is it something that you just use as a byproduct for other things like your cotton candy? No, we actually do sell it to the public. We started making it about uh, two years ago and um, it's been doing very well. People use it in their coffee and they use it as a replacement for um, other sugars and it works just fine. Hmm. And we uh, earlier in the show, I, I spoke to a maple producer north of us in, in Michigan, and we won't hold that against him. But <laughs> uh, and, and he talked uh, a little bit about what makes Michigan's syrup, um, you know, specifically, you know, maybe taste differently or or have a have a different color uh, and talked about sort of the, the care, the, the land characteristics in Michigan. Uh, what in Ohio, in our terroir? Um, it contributes to the uniqueness of, of Ohio's maple syrup as opposed to Michigan's, for example. Well, what helps us in Northeast Ohio is also all the lake effect snow we get. Mm. It helps keep moisture in the ground and helps the ground stay frozen longer. That's one way to spin the lake effect. <laughs> exactly. Try and make it sound good. And uh, we also have um, very good soil conditions. Uh, we have a lot of sandy soil mixed in with the clay, but all those minerals that are in the soils help. And um, our trees down here get generally bigger because it's not as cold as long as other parts um, where they make syrup. So that also helps. Right. So comparatively to, you know, maybe the, the Canadian provinces or even in the far, you know, northeast of like Vermont. Oh, absolutely. Their trees are much smaller than our trees here in Ohio. Interesting. I've, I've learned something totally new. I'd never really, that never really occurred to me. And I would assume that that means bigger trees mean more sap. Um, yes, more sap um, is definitely uh, a factor of that. And the bigger the crown of the tree, the more um, nutrients and sun and everything. It just helps overall with the larger trees. Hmm. Okay. Now, do you utilize a more traditional or more mechanized uh, methods for getting getting the uh, the sap out of the trees and into the sugar house. Yeah, we here at Butternut Maple Farm, we, we use um, more of a mechanical way. We used to do it with buckets, but it, it just took so much manpower and everything, and you lose lots of friends quick doing it that way. <laughs> so we ran tubing in the woods, and we also use vacuum, and we have collection stations and generators running in the woods. And we even have um, monitoring systems that uh, run off Wi-Fi and communicate to each other so that we can remotely access all our tubing and vacuum wow. from uh, the sugar house. Now, oh, wow, that's that's definitely advanced. Uh, you know, I've heard of folks that are doing the vacuum system and the tubing, but 
you know, utilizing Wi-Fi um, and and getting this kind of that kind of monitoring. What's the benefit of that? Um, you know, in the process. Um, the benefit of the Wi-Fi, basically, if there was a, a pump failure, we're not losing sap on the ground, which mm-hmm. we've had in the past, and we also can tell if um, we lose vacuum because of a storm or. Um, our best friends, the squirrels, tend to chew <laughs> our lines and create havoc. So this way we can um, efficiently just know exactly which line it is with the monitoring system. And we can go right there, take care of the problem and get our vacuum back up so our production stays high and um, we can stay at the sugar house and make a better product. Sure. And I'm sure that that efficiency also helps, you know, overall, um, you know, uh, helping you from from losing any potential, um, you know, revenues from uh, the ability to, you know, make sure that there isn't lost product um, or lost time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Time is is the key. And also we don't want to lose our product, but it just speeds it up tremendously knowing exactly where to walk in the woods because you're walking 16 acres of woods and Mm. you're kind of walking around blind. Well, now we can just kind of pinpoint it within a few hundred feet. Definitely helpful in that needle in a haystack, that literal needle in a haystack. And and wow. (laughs) And, And in the snow as well, if you're dealing with that. Uh, I mean, I, I know that, you know, really, it, you know, it, you kind of have to, it has to warm up a little bit for the sap to flow, but, you know, you're still dealing, I'm sure, with sometimes inclement conditions. So. Oh, absolutely. We, we've been out there working where it's uh, knee deep snow and boy, you get tired really quick. <laughs> what would you tell someone uh, that might be interested in, uh, you know, being uh, a maple producer? What advice would you give them? Um, make sure you're ready to invest a lot of time and energy towards it and, uh, start small, make sure you enjoy it because if you enjoy it, it's very addicting. And mine was just a hobby and it, uh, in theory, it's still a hobby, but we've, we've grown up to, uh, close to 6,000 taps now for a hobby. So, uh, I can't explain it, but it's, it's very fun and we love to watch water boil. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's about the whole whole thing so it's it's exciting and it's fun to uh to show other people and younger generations that you know you can go to your house tap a few trees put a pot on the stove and make your own syrup and it's a lot of fun yeah and and i can say that i've actually seen that happen um you know throughout this area in in ohio not far from where you are where people literally on a residential street will have a tap with a bucket underneath it around this time of year and um again not something that you really think about but you know unless you are in a region where where this is you know something that is accessible to you um and we want to try to make it accessible um you know to to the audience as well and that's why we're having this, these conversations with maple producers such as yourself. Now, I know that in um, if if someone is local, um, they can drive out and actually visit uh, you and, and your sugar house because it's open to the public. Um, so, can we go and watch water boil too? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, so anybody can come, and as long as there's some steam coming out, that means we're in there and we're working, and they're more than welcome to come in and. Get the whole experience. Is that something that everybody in the in the maple industry says? Because we just heard that from somebody else too. 
pretty much if you drive around anywhere and you see steam coming out of a sugar house that you're pretty much welcome at any time That's wow pretty much a thing <laughs> i i again i you know i've never heard after all of this time around all the maple up here i've never heard anybody say that um and so now i'm gonna have to try it out uh for try it out for size um so besides boiling water what can we expect um so basically we um when we bring it in, we run it all through filters. It, when we have all stainless steel tanks, we, we take pride in, in keeping everything very clean and very sterile. And um, so you'll see it go into the tanks. And then from the tanks, we run it through a reverse osmosis system, which actually will remove about 75% of the water about. And then from there, we will um, boil it down. And then after it gets to a uh, specific density, then we'll filter it and um, then we'll either put it into a canner and put it into bottles or we'll um, put it in 55 gallon drums. Um, anybody going, driving by and picking up a 55 gallon drum or are they just getting cotton candy? I don't think so. There's about <laughs> a thousand pounds. If they can pick it up by hand, they can have it. <laughs> <laughs> so at this time of year, um, like many parts of, of the Midwest, is uh, a popular time for uh, the, the maple producers to open up their doors uh, and, uh, and have these uh, maple tours, the maple trails, this sort of thing where people can come in. Usually it's, you know, uh, throughout March or the first two weeks of March. Um, I'm obviously familiar with, this is where I, I love when I talk to Ohio people, I get to like indulge myself about all the Ohio stuff. Um, but you know, we have the Jug County Maple Fest, uh, that happens every year where, you know, folks, uh, enter their maple syrup. There's these crazy maple stirs where you basically stir syrup into a paste and, and it's supposed to be, you know, appetizing. I'm not a huge fan of the maple stir because it's, it, I have a burn on my arm actually from, <laughs> from it, uh, from a few years back, but, um, you know, how important is this kind of tourism and, um, you know, these kind of, of community activities to maple, uh, the maple industry um, and, and its promotion? Um, it, it, it's great because it, it brings the public in so that they can get a real feel of um, what it takes to make maple syrup. And it just all the producers just enjoy sharing uh, their products and everything about maple. And it also brings good money into the economy, all the fairs and everything like that. Sure. No, no question about it. People are coming into, you know, the community that, you know, wouldn't necessarily be in the, the immediate area, um, you know, pumping money into those local economies as well as, as learning about, um, you know, the maple industry. What do you expect this year for uh, Ohio maple um, and, and for your, um, your output. You expecting any prize winners this year? I sure hope so. I hope to win again. We won back in 2008. Um, and it, the, the season's looking good. We have lots of moisture. We've, we're getting the cold. And um, as long as we get a good freeze and thaw, we're going to do very well. And um, we've made lots of improvements. So we're, we're, we're going to be doing really good. And I think we have a chance of winning. Well, I'll be out there taste testing then if, if uh, you know, things things are out there and open, depending on how everything is, you know, with uh, the, the pandemic, you know, we all have are trying to adapt to the new rules and the new normal. I doubt that we're going to be having the same kind of parades and those sort of things that we've had in years past. But that doesn't mean that we can't appreciate 
uh, you know, the, the, the sweetness of, of the maple syrup that, that all of you make and the importance that it plays in our local communities. Pierre, thank you again for, for joining us and look forward to tasting your syrup since you're so close by. Now, since I come from Ohio maple country, we have doubled the Ohio maple on this episode. We're now joined by Kevin Hawley from Seldom Seen Farms, just down the road from Pierre, both in Geauga County, Ohio. Kevin, thanks for joining Eat Your Heartland Out. We're always happy to have uh, Ohioans on the show. So um, we're all ears. Thanks for being on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I am spoiled because, as, as you know, Kevin, from, from our previous conversations, I am, uh, you and I are not very far apart in northeastern Ohio, um, and our neck of the woods, where you produce maple, uh, Geauga County, Ohio, is very well known for maple production in our region, um, as, as well as throughout, you know, the, the Midwest and beyond, um, so, you know, we kind of all, I think, appreciate maple as, as part of our, you know, sort of regional food culture, but not all of us make maple. What made you uh, take the leap and, and tap the trees? Well, depending on how far back you want to go. Um, <laughs> Let's we, go way back, Kevin. Way, way back to the beginning. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I used to help uh, some local farmers collect maple sap from buckets. Um, there is, in Jaga County, um, you are familiar with it, but everybody else is not, there is like it, just a concentration of sugar houses and maple farms um, more in Jaga County than the entire state of Ohio. So yep. I used to help local farmers um, collect buckets and everything. Pro this was probably 20, 25 years ago. Um, there was no like modern systems like we have now. So... It used to be very, very labor-intensive. Um, we used to help um, almost every day after school when we were kids, on weekends. And um, I probably did that for about 10 years. And I kind of got away from Maple for a while. You know, I got a, I got a job in the city and everything. I was working uh, construction. And mm -hmm. probably, I don't know, about 10, 12 years ago from the current time, my wife and I bought a 60-acre farm in Montville Township. So we had a ton of maple trees. And if you ever talked to another maple producer, you'd probably know that um, once you start, it's kind of like an addiction and you can't stop growing your, <laughs> your, your operation. So what we did is we tapped four or five trees on buckets, and I actually boiled everything um, in the kitchen on the stove uh, in my wife's canning pot, actually, and every year we just kept adding more and more. So, um, you know, we, we moved away from buckets and everything and we put in a modern tubing system that we have now. And we'll talk about it in a little while, but we have now over just over a thousand taps. And um, it's just it's quite amazing what it's grown into. <laughs> that's that's so you basically went from your kitchen to a thousand, you know, boiling in your kitchen with your wife's, you know, canning stuff to a, a thousand taps in a matter of basically a decade is what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, we started out pretty small and we actually, in the past about five or six years is where we really took the jump and, um, added. So we started out with like 400 and now we're, we're just over a thousand. So 
so yeah, it was it was quite the uh, quite the jump, <laughs> for sure. And and uh, you mentioned the the modern you know process, and and since you know I've seen sort of the, the maple process up, up close, uh, being again from just one county to the east of Geauga County, uh, but for for everybody else who is not from our corner of, of Northeast Ohio or from a place that has maple production. You know, what does what does a modern maple system look like? Because, you know, I think a lot of folks have in their head this sort of spigot in a tree, which it is not. <laughs> yes. So the, the modern um, the modern systems, they're not they're not like they used to be. You know, a lot of people used to use horses um, or tractors and drive through the woods. Um, anybody getting into it now is doing tubing uh there's there's tubes that go th- from tree to tree, so you don't have to walk and collect buckets. Um, it all flows to one central location, and then we have pump houses throughout the woods that pump all the sap up to the sugar house. Mm-hmm. Um, with with ours with our setup, we have a vacuum pump in the woods, so it helps um, extract the sap better from the trees. And um, being that I work a full time job currently, I kind of set ours up in like a um, ultra modern system so i can actually like monitor the sap flow from my phone so you have like um, a ring.com for maple trees yeah exactly <laughs> exactly they have video cameras they have i mean the sky is the limit with this new stuff and it wow. is it, it's quite amazing and you see that a lot up north and it, it, up in vermont and stuff but now it's starting to come down to ohio and and michigan in our area and it's and it's good to yeah. see yeah, and and I'll and I'll say you know for the folks that I've talked to, other maple producers who you know we're introducing throughout this episode, um, you know everybody that I've talked to kind of has a similar uh, you know kind of experience that you have, kind of starting off you know with a, a couple of tabs doing it as sort of as a hobby, and then all of a sudden gets this incredible sort of you know twenty first century you know fully automated system with vacuums and you know tubing that that goes into a centralized location and and uh you know it's pretty uh incredible to to see sort of that evolution uh, over time and i can imagine that it makes that mechanization makes things a lot easier for someone such as yourself or anyone uh you know trying to produce uh, particularly volume um you know uh, during maple production season which we are uh, have been in and, uh, first, second week of March is usually the big sort of maple festival time of year. How has the maple, uh, season been this year for you, at least in, uh, you know, the region that you're in in Northeast Ohio? So right now, um, we're actually at a standstill because of the weather being so cold. Mm-hmm. Um, the past four years, I think we have been tapped and we have been making syrup by now. Um, I think there's only one producer in the area that has made syrup so far, but we plan on tapping um, all the trees this next week. And uh, the weather looks looks good from here on out, so it'll be it'll be full go here in the next probably two weeks. So, so you'll be geared up and ready for for when sort of the the maple tours happen, which usually. Again, is first first uh, you know two weeks of, of March usually, and and the Maple Festival in our uh, area as well, which is a pretty big deal. You know, all of it usually Maple season culminates in the you know those first two weeks of March, and in in Ohio, Ohio uh, it March is uh, Ohio Maple Syrup Products Month officially <laughs> as perfect, well. Perfect. So we recognize <laughs> March as a as an important uh, time for for maple production. 
So it's been too cold, uh, you know, at least uh, for a period of time. But what would a ideal conditions be um, in the Midwest or, or at least in sort of the Great Lakes region for maple, uh, for a maple harvest, if you can call it a so, maple harvest? Is there something else you call it besides a harvest? Well, I mean, everybody calls it different things. Diff- a good sap run is what we uh, typically <laughs> refer it to. Um, the the best temperatures is like 25 at night and 40 degrees during the day with a little bit of sun. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it just keeps the sap moving up and down the tree. Um, and that's when we need to capture it is super, super early in the year uh, before the leaves start to form. And um, if, if we have two or three good weeks of freezing at night and warm days, it's it's usually a pretty good year. Um, most of our, I think 75% of our syrup is made within a two-week uh, time frame. So it's, it's really, really short. Uh, the season is usually about six weeks total, and uh, it's, it's usually pretty intense for most maple producers during the first and second week of March. Sure. Uh, that's exactly why why we do focus on, on March so much. And I've talked about, um, you know, the, the importance of uh, attracting people into the, you know, to the maple producers uh, during that period of time. Um, and, uh, you know, you are called seldom seen, uh, your, mm-hmm. your maple farm, but um, how do you get your uh, your maple out into the community so people actually do see it and consume it? So, the, the maple tours obviously are the biggest part to get our names out. Um, another thing we do is we sell at multiple uh, retail locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to do as much advertising for the buy local um, as possible. Um, th- the biggest thing is just actually word of mouth. It's uh, We try to make the best product possible, and um, a lot of people just talk amongst themselves and and help us promote our product. So it's it's quite amazing on what the community can do for you. Um, and the support that they show is just, it's, it's outstanding. So, so what makes your product a little bit different and, and, you know, what kind of range of syrup and, and other maple related products do you offer? So we don't have the typical sugar bush as it's called. We tap 100% red maple trees. Hmm. Um, they're not, they're not a sugar maple tree. It's a red maple tree, which is still good for maple production. Um, it's kind of non-traditional, but that's the only thing we have on the property, so that's what we went with. Interesting. It uh, it it makes like a a bolder maple flavor. So it's kind of like we we produce a lot of dark um, and amber syrup that has a really mm-hmm. robust maple flavor. And one thing that we figured out is that we age our maple syrup typically the last half of the season in bourbon barrels. So we, we source bourbon barrels from Kentucky mm-hmm. and uh, we age it in there for six months. And I'll tell you what, the flavor that comes out of this is, I don't know if you're a bourbon drinker or not, but it is absolutely outstanding. Well, I'm always up to experiment uh, with different flavor profiles and, and I'm a huge fan of maple and I know you may make maple sugar as well, right? We do. We make maple sugar. We make maple uh, cotton candy, and we have different types of maple creams available. And mm. crazy enough, we even offer traditional maple syrup. <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> we have quite the uh, quite the variety. So you you're cover you're covering the ga- the gamut. Um, so what's next for uh, for seldom seen uh, farms? I mean, 
you know, maple maple is important, but there's there's also a lot of agriculture, um, it, you know, to diversify as well um, that could, you know, bring even more clientele into uh, the, you know, your, your farm and, and the region. There. Yeah. Yeah. We are, uh, we're definitely going to try to keep growing the maple. We still want to double or triple in size what we currently have. Wow. But, but besides that, we are, uh, we're doing a pick your own farm. So we are going to, we have 800 blueberries going in over the next two years. Oh, wow. Uh, we're going to do 400 each year. So we're going to have plenty of blueberries in the next probably three to five years for for the community to come pick. Um, we're working on a couple other things, mostly just a pick-your-own type of uh, agritourism. You know, we, we, we really love reaching out to the community and trying to teach people where their food comes from and how different plants are grown. So we're just going to we're gonna keep building on that and, and see where it takes us. Well, that's exciting. And, uh, you know, I definitely am a, a big proponent of agritourism and think that it's a great way to bring people um, from, you know, different walks of life, different backgrounds to, you know, really learn and understand, you know, where things come from that end up on their table, uh, the labor that goes into it, uh, the science behind it, um, and, and just to get out in nature as as well and, and where you're located, um, you know, you're, you're far enough away, but close enough to, you know, bigger cities like Cleveland and Akron and Canton that it gives an opportunity for folks that, you know, uh, in urban and suburban areas to really get a chance to, um, get immersed in that, uh, more rural, uh, environment. So I, I know I'm going to come out and visit you guys because you're not very far from me. So <laughs> hopefully awesome. I'll, I'll get on the maple trail. Uh, but we do appreciate your time, Kevin, uh, taking a, a little break from uh, maple season to share your sweet product uh, with, with all of us here at Eat Your Heart Landau. So thanks so very much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Our final stop on this maple tour is in Indiana. We are joined by Kevin Hart, president of the Indiana Maple Association and owner of Maplewood Farms. Kevin, thanks so much for uh, joining me and joining the show today. Uh, we're always happy to um, have folks on that know more about maple um, since today, where that's what the show is all about. And um, you are... Um, the head of the Indiana Maple Association. Now, I'm from Ohio, and I didn't realize that um, Indiana was really a maple-producing state. Um, so, so tell us about you know the Indiana Maple Association, what kind of members you have, and sort of what your agenda is for the maple industry in the Hoosier State. Well, uh, Indiana Maple Syrup Association. Um, we have approximately 200 members. Um, mostly small family sugar bushes, hobbyists, but we have a few larger producers. Mm -hmm. We have some dealers and manufacturers and uh, some academics that are in our association. But we're all about promoting maple syrup here in Indiana and um, uh, ensuring that uh, the quality is good uh, for the Hoosiers. Um, we like to educate the producers on developments in the industry. Um, government legislation is coming mm -hmm. down the road. Um, our website's indianamaplesyrup.org, if anybody's interested. And we like to promote the health and environmental benefits of maple syrup. And, and that's something I want to talk to you about as well. Um, but I, you know, 
I do want to know a little bit about the history of making maple syrup in Indiana. How long does that go back? How long has maple been produced in Indiana? Well, I'm sure uh, the Europeans, when they first came into the territory, brought uh, the skill to make maple syrup with them. And of course, they found sugar maple trees all over the place. Um, I'm not sure if the Native Americans produced it. I'm sure they probably did in the East Coast, New England, the Indians did. Um, More than likely, the Indians probably did sugar instead of syrup, um, Mm -hmm. just because they didn't have the vessels for the syrup and stuff. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, at the settlement of the Midwest, it was basically the only sweetener the settlers had. Mm-hmm. So they all used the maple syrup. They had plenty of trees and they had the experience from coming from the east. And uh, Right. Well, that, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Because you think, you know, people think, you know, oh, Vermont maple syrup. Um, but, you know, the Midwest is a huge producer of maple syrup, as, as you know, we as we've learned and, and as we're trying to, you know, tell the rest of the country in, in this episode of Eat Your Heartland Out. Um, so I, I want to understand a little bit more about the region that's known as the Maple Belt, mm-hmm. um, because I, I think I understood that uh, Indiana is kind of the furthest south in what would be considered the Maple Belt. So so draw us a map of what the Maple Belt would be. Uh, it basically surrounds the Great Lakes, a 500-mile radius around the Great Lakes. Um, uh, Indiana is the southwesternmost state. Um, not a lot of producers in Illinois. Um probably mostly in the east, the northeastern areas. Um, But we have Iowa. There's producers in eastern Iowa, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. Minnesota, um, the Canadian provinces that surround the Great Lakes, Ohio, Michigan, um, northern Kentucky, Mm. and uh, West Virginia um, uh, recently started association, and they've got a lot of producers. Um, They have the elevation and the freezing, thawing temperatures and the maple trees, so just makes sense. Wow. That, that is something that I would have never thought West Virginia is, as, you know, getting into the, the maple, the maple game as well. That's definitely, you think maybe is it would be a little too far South, but um, it's good to see that there, you know, other States innovating and, and producing maple and maple syrup. Um, and, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, trying to, um, you know, educate the public, uh, and not only educate folks on, um, you know, sort of the, the process, um, but, you know, just sort of everything that goes into um, bringing maple uh, to the tables of, of Americans. Um, and what role does the Indiana Maple Association, Maple Syrup Association play in that? Um, I understand you guys have are part of the Pioneer Village at the Indiana State Fair. Is that right? That's correct. Um, We actually hold two events each year. Um, At the Indiana State Fair, uh, we have a a living history museum um, called the Pioneer Village, and we operate the Sugar Shack in that village um, where we sell Hoosier maple syrup. And then we also have another event that's coming up. it's always the second weekend of March. It's what we call Indiana Maple Weekend. I'm glad you talked about it because we are doing, you know, this show is about showcasing those first two weeks of March all over the Midwest, uh, trying to attract uh, tourists to, you know, maple producers. So tell us about Indiana Maple Weekend. Well, we sponsor Indiana Maple Weekend. The association does. Uh, 
the uh, members or the uh, camps that open up are independent. Um, they all have uh, sales, samples, entertainment. Uh, they're all unique. They all have a different way mm-hmm. of collecting the sap. They all have different evaporators mm. that they cook on. Um, but what they do is um, they open up their camps for the weekend, and the public's welcome to come out, um, just hang out with them, walk through the sugar bush, check everything out. Um, so, like I said, it's always the second weekend of March annually. They can find more information in a map at indianamapleweekend.com. And, uh, yeah, we have some Amish producers. Um, uh-huh. and we have some of the most modern equipment in use. And then we have some homemade rigs that people just set up in their backyard and do outside. That's awesome. You guys really run the spectrum of, uh, you know, the, the type of production and, and – uh, you know, the type of syrup that I, I am sure that folks are putting out, which I want to get into in a minute. But first, I got to ask you about you and your maple operation, because, you know, if you, you can't be in leadership of the Maple Syrup Association, if you yourself are not, uh, you know, producing maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Um, what, so how did you get into the business and, and what is what is your uh, farm and process look like? Well, I kind of got into it by accident. Um, my wife and I bought a farm the farm we're currently on and in 2000 and uh, had some timber on it. I had a forester come out and do an inventory for me. And he suggested I do maple syrup that I had a really nice stand of maple trees. So that started the wheels turning. I Googled you and all that. In 2008, I joined the Indiana Maple Syrup Association, but I didn't tap my first tree until 2013. Oh, wow. Um, And uh, we are, we started with about 300 taps on tubing and today we're, uh, about 110 acre sugar bush. We run between two and 3,000 taps. Um, all of our collection is on and tubing, and that is on a vacuum. And then, of course, we use reverse osmosis. But we mm-hmm. are still wood fired. Um, I like using the wood because that keeps us pretty much 100% sustainable. That's um, great. Um, we try not to use any fossil fuels. Um, then we sell online, indymaplesyrup.com. And we also sell at the farmer's markets in Indianapolis and Carmel. Um, and then we, we service uh, some niche bakeries, um, some craft breweries, and some farm-to-table restaurants. See, I think that is, is really cool. What, how, do they, how do these folks like bakeries or breweries uh, use your, your syrups? And what kind of syrups do they usually choose to, um, to make their uh, – other products with? Well, it varies on what they're doing. Like the niche bakeries, they tend to like the darker syrups. Mm-hmm. Um, they get a good flavor transfer there. Uh, the craft breweries and the cideries, they tend to like a dark syrup, but not too dark. Um, and then the farm to table restaurants, they tend to like the medium syrups, maybe a little bit of a dark they offer, but uh, uh, everybody likes a little bit of different. If you know, there's a maple syrup out there for about every use. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you can fulfill a lot of different needs. And and I think it brings up a very good point that, you know, if, if maple syrup isn't just about, you know, going on pancakes or waffles, but is it a, a critical ingredient, um, you know, and sweetener. And you mentioned earlier, and I want to go back to this, I said I would, about the sort of health uh, aspects and health promotion uh, related to maple. Um because again, most I don't know how much people think. Well, maple is is a is a healthy sweetener. Yes, it's a very healthy sweetener. It's one of the healthiest sweeteners you can get. I think 
Um, they're doing some research. Uh, in fact, the Dr. Navendra Seeram at the University of Rhode Island is doing a lot of research and he's discovering all kinds of health benefits with maple syrup. It's full of phytochemicals, which are your antioxidants and such. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're finding that it has health benefits for some cancers, diabetes, um, neurological diseases such as Alzheimer's. Wow. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a unique product. It's one of the few foods that hasn't been manipulated by man. I mean, that maple tree that is out in my woods um, is the same maple tree that's been here for centuries. We haven't hybridized it. We haven't genetically modified it or anything mm-hmm. like that. And as far as processing of maple syrup, it's just a simple boiling of the maple sap. Right, right. I mean, so it's really just a very pure process. Um, and um, I think a really good point that it's not something that is um, genetically modified or has any kind of additives. I mean, maybe some places do that, but it sounds like, you know, you are have really focused on, you know, keeping that, um, that purity and, um, you know, not really tampering uh, with, with that, um, that nature's product that, that you're getting out of those trees that, as you said, have been there um, for centuries. Um, and, and I, I want to know a little bit more about the s- specifics of Indiana maple. Um, you know, we're talking to folks from Ohio, we're talking to folks from Michigan, um, and obviously we're talking to you from, from Indiana. And while, uh, you know, apparently all of these, uh, you know, different locations are, are part of that maple belt, as you say, um, you know, I, I can only imagine that the, soil conditions and, and other aspects of, you know, the weather and, and regional climate conditions impact um, the final product of what comes out of the tree. Um, so what what makes Indiana syrup different than maybe some of its neighbors? Um, and, and, you know, in both, you know, flavor and presentation? Well, we tend to make darker syrups. Um, even our lighter syrups tend to be a good rich flavor. I think a lot of that has to do with our deep, rich soils. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of it too, is that uh, we're smaller producers. So um, there's small batches. Most of them are still wood fired. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not a lot of blending that goes on. So it's kind of like, like wine, we get vintages. Um, Right. uh, No two barrels are the same. And, uh, in fact, you know, we have um, the temperature range between our high and low daily temperatures. Um, that's a pretty good range. We can have temperatures in the low 20s at night and get up in the mid 50s during the day. Um, I think that has something to do with the flavors. Uh, in fact, sure. you know, as far as uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the soils. They're just starting to do some research. A uh, young lady by the name of Alicia Barone in uh, Dupree, Wisconsin, did a survey where she collected soils and syrup from different sugar bushes. And uh, Doc, uh, Kathy Hopkins in the University of Maine Extension does a lot of um, testing, tasting um, of off flavors and stuff like that in syrup. And they, they did a survey and they found 11 different flavors from wow. the different sugar bushes. And they, they, the, the minerals and the soluble salts seem to have an effect on the syrup. So I think the, we're, hmm. you know, in future there, you know, they may be able to test the soil of a sugar bush before they even 
tap the trees to find out what kind of flavors they're going to be getting out of the syrup from that sugar bush. I find that really wow. fascinating. Yeah, science is apparently really innovating uh, the the maple production and the maple industry. I mean, you know, I've, I've talked to other folks about how, you know, things have evolved from, you know, tapping the trees to these vacuum and, and systems and all of the tubing and everything that is, you know, very modern, uh, very automated. Um, and now, uh, you know, agri-science sounds like it's really taking things to the next level for, uh, for maple production, which is really incredible. Something that I never really thought about. And I come from a maple producing uh, part of Ohio. So I, I certainly have learned something new. Yeah. The agroforestry part of the maple syrup, I mean, you know, the, the best way to preserve our forest is to make them economically viable in their natural state. Mm -hmm. And maple syrup's one of those products that will get that done. I love that concept. And I know that your uh, maple farm is, I believe, certified uh, as a forester. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're in the uh, Indiana Classified Forest Program and we're part of the tree farm system. That's fantastic. And I think that that, that is a great place uh, for us to uh, leave our conversation to show that it is possible to be sustainable, to preserve the environment around us, but also have an economically viable product. Um, and I know that that's, you know, all part and parcel of the uh, the mission and the objective of the uh, Indiana Maple Syrup Association and you, Kevin, as as their leader right now. So, Kevin Hart, thank you so much for joining us. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.